Well, all of us have faced fears at one time or another throughout our lifetime. And with everything that's been going on in our culture and with the continuance of the pandemic and responses to that and just everything that we're dealing with, I thought it would be helpful today to address this subject of fear. Um, and how can we deal with the fears that we have and how can we step out of the shadow of fear and step more into faith in Christ? Because sometimes the fears that we face, they are rational. It's a rational fear because we actually are in some kind of danger physically or to our health or to our financial status. But other times our fears are irrational because we focus more on what might happen instead of what is actually happening. And so we need to learn to differentiate between the two. And if we don't, the fears that we have, especially those irrational fears, can creep into our mind, into our thinking, into our emotions, and they become so large they cast just such a dark shadow over us that they can make us feel paralyzed to where we really don't know what to do next or where to turn or, or where to go. So if you don't know how to confront and overcome those fears, um, it can cause you to not live life the way that Christ wants you to live, the way he designed us to live. And I want you to understand that God is absolutely aware of your fears. We see throughout the Bible from Old Testament to New, all the great people of faith, men and women, they all had fears as they went through life in different situations. And that's why we have their stories recorded for us in the scripture so we can learn how they responded and how God helped them and uh, what was the end result of their response to the fears and also in trusting in God. And in fact, Jesus addresses this in the New Testament, and we're going to look at some of that today and what the apostles in the New Testament have to say about fear. But as I was thinking about this, and this is not any study I did, I didn't, I didn't do a lot of research on this particular thing, though I did research for the sermon. But as I thought about the things that cause fear, um, really, when it all boils down, I think all of our fears actually come out of a fear of loss. Just think about that for a minute. Because if, if you're afraid of your financial security, well, that's a fear of loss of that security. If you're afraid of getting sick, well, that's a fear of losing your health. If you fear death, you're, of course, a fear of losing your life or you're afraid of the unknown because it's a loss of what you're familiar with. So really, when you think about it, probably the root of all fear is a fear of some type of loss. But, you know, I mentioned a few things there. You can see them on the slide. We, we do have a fear of failure, a fear of lack, not having what we need, a fear of rejection in some way. And Jesus speaks to these things. He understood our fears, especially in regard to losing something or not having something, even the things that we might need for daily living. And so he addressed this with his disciples. It's a familiar passage. Many of you have heard it. We're going to just start out the message today there with the words of Jesus. But then I want you to see from there how the apostles also addressed this. So in Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32, if you'll follow along, whether you got the, the, the app sermon notes or just open up your scriptures, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 32. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Jesus understood that fear and worry and anxiety, they're all connected because the worries and the anxieties grow out of fear. 
So he says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the nations of the world seek after all such things. That literally means they clamor, they demand, their, their whole focus is on these things. And your father knows you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's how he sums this whole little teaching up by making this statement. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Jesus is trying to point out to them that one of the reasons that they fear and that we fear is because we don't understand What a loving, gracious God we have. The one who created you and gave you life, he is aware of your needs. And he wants you to begin to understand that love and that grace and that provision that he is going to provide for you as you learn to walk in faith. Now, there's something interesting there that Jesus said right toward the end. He said, instead of putting those things as a priority and seeking after those things in your life, Really, what you need to do is to put a priority in your life of being in relationship with God, the one who created you. Seek after him and his kingdom and get to know him because once you get to know him and how gracious and loving he is, then you'll understand that he is going to make sure that you're taken care of. It doesn't doesn't mean that you're abdicating your responsibility. You still do your part, but you're trusting that God loves you enough that he's going to help you to get through this life. That he's placed you in. And as I was thinking about that, the, the word of God and Jesus, of course, he said of himself, he is the light of the world. And of course, um, when we think about the, God, the, the word of God, we think about the light of Christ shining through the word of God. Okay, when you put a light down in a low uh, place in your life, or even, I'll just let you know, this is how kind of crazy I, as I am, because I, I, I visualize things, I picture things. So as I was reading this and getting this concept in my mind, I thought, you know, that's so true. If, if you have a light that is down low in the room, then every object that it hits, it casts shadows up on the wall, and it makes everything look bigger and kind of ominous, doesn't it? And so this is how weird I am. I literally got a big, powerful flashlight I have out of, out of a drawer, And I went in the living room, and I held it down low, and I turned it on. And one of the things that really struck me was we have a little small rocking chair. We got grandkids, and it was our daughter's rocking chair that we had years ago still sitting in the living room so the grandkids can sit in. Of course, they never do, but anyway, but it's there. 
And, but I, I held that flashlight down low, and when it sh- the, the rocking chair is only this big, but when I held it down low, the shadow of that rocking chair covered the whole wall. And what was interesting is the back spindles, uh, the rods, you know, in the back of the chair, when the light shined through it on the wall, they looked like prison bars. And for me, it was such a graphic. I'm like, that is so true. You know, when we put the Word of God down low in our life, and we don't have it in its proper place, then even the smaller things in our life seem so huge and ominous. And it can become like a prison to us because sometimes those shadows of fear can, can paralyze us. But then what, what was really visually for me, and I, I just hope you can picture this in your mind, as I lifted that light up and it began to have a higher altitude over the rocking chair, guess what happened? The shadows in the wall started shrinking. And I got down smaller and smaller, and finally, when I held it directly over, overhead, the shadow was gone, and I could see the chair clearly. Now, the chair was still there, but I got a proper perspective on it. And this is how it is in our life, I believe, when we put all of our focus on the problems of the world and the problems around us, and we've put the light of the Word of God in Christ at a low position in our life. We need to elevate that in our life. We need to lift up the Word of God. We need to set it up high so we can get a proper perspective and see things better. And I believe that's what Jesus meant when he said, seek first the kingdom of God. Make that a high priority, and then it will put everything else in perspective. There's a Swedish proverb that you see on the screen there, and I believe it's so true. Worry gives a small thing a big shadow. And the apostles dealt with this as well. Even after Christ rose from the dead, after he was crucified, you know, they went into hiding because they were afraid. They had seen Christ die. And even when they heard the first reports of Christ coming back to life, they were a little bit reluctant to believe it. They didn't believe the women at first uh, when they came and said, hey, we went to the tomb. The tomb is empty. An angel was there. He said he is risen. And in fact, we saw the Lord himself, and he said to go to Galilee, and he's going to meet us there. And even the disciples that had heard Jesus say he was going to rise from the dead because they had seen him die and they were afraid of the persecution and everything, they were very reluctant. It was only when they saw Christ himself risen from the dead that then they became convinced and knew this is true. He truly is our God. He is the God who created us. His promises are true. Everything that he says he will do. And it caused them to be emboldened then to go out and to tell people about Christ. They were filled with his spirit. So the apostle Paul is writing and he is writing to a young man named Timothy who was uh, following in ministry. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, because the Apostle Paul wanted to encourage Timothy about having faith in Christ, and that would help dispel our fears. He says it in this one brief statement. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness. By the way, I'm using the Holman Christian Standard translation this morning just for this one verse. Because like in the King James Version, it'll say, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And then there's some translations you read that says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline or self-control. So I read all these different translations, and it's like, okay, well, I, I get it that they're all kind of saying the same thing, but I want to get it most accurately. So I did a little quick word study on those words. And I really like the, the Holman Christian Standard, the way they uh, have, have put it into the English language. So that's why I'm using it this morning. But because the sense of what Paul is writing is, yes, God has not given us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fearfulness. I think that's probably the best word there. God's not given us a spirit of fearfulness. 
but of power and love and of a sound mind. So the first thing that Paul mentions there is power. And again, that original Greek word that he uses is dunamis. And that's the word that we get uh, in the English. It's where we get the English word dynamite from. So we think of that as being powerful. But in the, in the Greek language, dunamis means an inherent power residing in a thing by its very nature. So when you think of dynamite, it's explosive because that's what it is. It's, it's very nature. It has the potential to, to explode and have great power. And the Apostle Paul is wanting you and I to understand that when we invite Christ into our life, when we believe he died on the cross for our sins and we've yielded our life to Christ and we say, thank you for doing this for me. I believe you're the son of God. I want you in my life. Please forgive me. Come into my life. We're inviting the spirit of Christ into our soul, our spirit. And that mighty power of his nature then begins to come into us. So we have a new power that is at work within us that we didn't have before. It's why the Apostle Paul also says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone, anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So now, instead of our old sinful nature within us, we've opened up our life to Christ. We accept him in. His Holy Spirit comes in. He brings his new nature within us. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you, after you accepted Christ, found that sometimes life got a little more tough than it was before because you have this new thing going on inside of you? I don't know about you, but when I was younger, before I came to know Christ, when I would do things I shouldn't do, the only thing I worried about was getting caught. <laughs> you know, it's like, I hope I don't get caught because I know I'm going to get in trouble if I get caught for doing this. I was underage, and I won't go into all the things that I did at that point. I'm still underage, really, okay? <laughs> so... But anyway, uh, I just worried about getting caught. Well, after I accepted Christ into my life, sometimes I would still do the things that I had done previously, but the difference was instead of worrying about being caught, there was something inside of me now that was just like, Mark, this isn't right. You know, this is not what I want for you. I have better things for you. And I began to notice this struggle that was going on within me. And what I had to do was I had to learn to say no to the old nature because when I found that when I said yes to the new nature, when I began to, to do those things that God's word said I ought to do and when I stopped doing things that God's word said I shouldn't do, I found that I was beginning to have a joy and a peace that I did not have before. And this is how I began to grow in my understanding of God's grace and what it means to have new life in Christ. We saw this morning the baptism, and I often tell people when I'm talking about baptism that baptism isn't the end of the road. That's the beginning of the journey. That's just the beginning where you're saying, I want to follow you, Jesus, and there's going to be good times and there'll be rough times, but in this journey, I believe that you're with me, and so I'm trusting you, and I want to follow you. And so we saw a testimony of that today, and for all of us, when we got baptized, we were saying we believe in Christ, but we're also trusting him to help us through the difficulties of life and to learn to walk in this new nature that he's given us. So other things for that dunamis power, it, it is um, descriptive of these types of things. Miraculous power, of course, that would be a power beyond ourselves that God does, but also it can mean a moral power. In other words, you do have the ability, God puts within you the ability to live a better way, to live a more moral life. 
Now, again, just living a moral life doesn't save you. Christ saves you. But as he has saved you, he saved you to walk in newness of life, to do good works in the world, and to live a moral life. But you can't do it on your own. It's his spirit helping you because now you have that dunamis power that can help you live in a moral way. Dunamis also implies a power of influence. You know, we are constantly influenced by the things of the world, and we're inundated with that. But we need to understand that when Christ puts his Holy Spirit within us, we have that new nature within us and that new power, and now we can become influential. Sometimes we may not feel like it because the voices of the world are so loud, but we need to have that assurance that we have a power of influence that Christ has put within us. It's his spirit. And that's what I'm trusting in this very moment as I speak to you this morning. I'm not trusting in my own ability to communicate today. I'm trusting in the dunamis power of Christ that his spirit is working in me, my thoughts, my mind, my speech, and that he is the one that is influencing today through this message because it's his words. And so I'm stepping in faith and doing that this morning. Dunamis power is also associated with arising from numbers, forces, or armies. And of course, there are a lot of powerful armies in the world, but there is no army as powerful as God's army and all the spiritual forces of heaven. And so we have that power available to us as we begin to trust Christ as our Savior and we begin to learn to walk in that. And if we understand that, then that ought to begin to give us confidence to overcome fear or the shadow of fear. When it begins to sweep across us, we know that we have a power within us that is greater than the power that is in the world. But we need to understand that we've got to cooperate with that power. That dunamis power within us uh, gives us power to overcome our fears about our past. It gives us power to overcome fears about our present. And it gives us power to overcome our fears about the future. It gives us power to overcome our fears about Satan and evil in the world. It gives us power to overcome bad habits that we've developed and to develop new habits and healthy choices for our life. And it gives us power to live in a new way that overcomes ungodly influences. That's why the Apostle Paul writes this in Galatians 2.20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He is giving a picture there of saying in the same way that Jesus willingly allowed himself, though he had the power that he didn't have to go through it, he could have come off that cross, but he submitted himself because he wanted to fulfill God's plan for us that all of God's wrath and judgment against your sin and my sin, the sin of the world, he was willing to pay the price for us because we can't do it. And so that's why Christ came into the world to pay a price to a holy and righteous God that we're unable to do. God himself paid it to himself. I know that sounds crazy, but God was wanting to maintain his honor and his justice and his judgment, and he said that sin must be punished, but he loves us so much that he paid the price for us so that all we need to do is accept the payment that Christ made for us, and now we're under God's grace and forgiveness because Christ paid the price for us. And so that's where our part comes in. We need to choose to believe Christ, to trust Christ, to accept on our behalf what Christ did for us. And so Jesus didn't have to die, but he willingly gave himself on the cross of Calvary for you and I. And as we receive Christ into our life, what Paul is saying is, I'm learning now that this old nature that was within me and still is within me, it's been broken now by the power of Christ because I've been given a new nature in Christ now. 
And so as I'm learning to live by this new nature, I've got to crucify myself, not literally, but like Christ did, I've got to totally humble myself, yield my will to God's will, and I've got to crucify that old sin nature within me, and I need to cooperate with the new nature. It's not me living now, it's Christ living in me, and I can't do this without Christ, so it's only by his power and strength that I'm going to live by this new dunamis power. And when you begin to understand that, it can begin to help you to overcome fear that you have about various things in life. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Faith is acting on what you believe. Don't tell me you have faith in God if you're not doing anything about it. That's not faith. The Bible says even the demons believe in God and shudder because they're not acting on faith. They believe in God because they know he's real. So don't tell me that you have faith and you're not doing anything about your belief in Christ. You're still living like you've always lived and he's just a nice little addition that you keep in the back corner or keep down on the floor and then you wonder why the shadows of life are so big, the shadows of fear. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now we're gonna move in in just a moment to one of the really powerful tools that helps us to overcome the shadow of fear. But I want you to think about that because sometimes we don't live by the new nature, quite frankly, because we don't want to. We have become so comfortable with our old nature, even though we don't like it, that we just keep giving into it and giving into it and giving into it. And sometimes we find it's just too hard to live by the new nature, even though it's there. And so you need to deal with yourself. If you're making excuses and say, well, I I can't do this, I can't do that. Is it really because you want to or is it, because you just don't want to really try. Because God gives you the power. If you will step into faith, he will help you do it. The Apostle John refers to this new nature within us, Christ coming into us. When he makes this statement, it's in 1 John chapter 4, uh, verse 4, the second half of it. He says, the one who is in you, talking about Christ and his Holy Spirit, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Some translations say, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Well, I want to read this, that little phrase. I want you to get it in context. So let's take a look at it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And then maybe you'll see how it ties in with our fear. Dear friends, do not believe believe every spirit. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now I want to stop there. So Mark, you're telling me No, I'm not, John is. (laughs) So, John, you're telling me that all these other religions are wrong? Like, Like the people who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God and people who don't believe in Jesus, are you telling me they're wrong? Yes. That is exactly what John is telling you and telling us. And that's why the gospel is an offense to the world. But John was one who saw Jesus live and communicate 
and heal people and saw his power. And John was one who stood near the cross when Jesus was hanging on the cross and his lifeblood was pouring out. And with what little bit of breath Jesus had left, he said, behold your mother and woman, behold your son. He was the one standing there, the apostle that Jesus spoke to and said, I want you to take care of my mother, John. And, and mom, John is gonna be your son now. He's gonna take care of you. John stood there and saw Jesus suffering and dying and saw life expire from him. And he was crushed. And then he was, Jesus was put in the tomb. Three days later when Christ arose from the grave, John was reluctant to believe it. And yet when he came and he saw the empty tomb, he began to wonder, could this be true? And then when Christ appeared to him, and not only him, but to the other apostles, and not just once, but over a period of several times or over a period of 40 days before he ascended back up into heaven, John saw this Jesus. And this is why John can write to us and say, if you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm telling you, you're listening to false prophets because I have seen God in the flesh. And I've seen what he has done, and I've seen his great love. And I've seen his compassion and his mercy, and there is no other God. And that's why he can write with this confidence. And again, these are not my words, church. This is John's word. I have to do just like you. I have to decide, am I going to believe this, or am I going to believe something else? People who believe differently are not our enemies. They're not. And even if they were, Jesus said we're to love our enemies. We're to pray for them. But we need to know where we stand or else we will live our lives in continual fear of what's going to happen to me when I die. Does God really love me? Is this really true? Or am I wrong? Is somebody else right and I'm wrong? This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. It's pretty simple. Now listen to what he writes. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. Christ in you is greater than that, so you don't have to fear that. You can walk in the confidence of Christ. He goes on and he says, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. This is really important to listen to. And the world listens to them. So we're in a world where a lot of things are communicated and talked about and people do buy into that worldview because they are of the world. But if you are not of the world, if you're of God, you're going to listen to God. I'm so sorry. I think I've upset someone, and, I, and I'm glad the kids are in here, by the way, so that's wonderful. Love families. So I want us to think about that, because it does challenge us, because in the church, we often are influenced so much by the things in the world, and we are influenced by the world, and if we're not careful, we can get swept up in the spirit of antichrist, or in other words, are you sure Jesus is really true? Is he really the only way? I don't, I don't know whether he is. He's just one of the ways. He's not the way. Now you're starting to listen to the voice of anti-Christ. So Christ is saying, I am the one, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to learn to listen to him. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now here's what I want us to get to. So if, listen, if you've tuned me out, please tune back in. Listen to this. Dear friends, let us love one another. 
for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The Greek word that is used there every single time translated into English as love is the word agape. There were different Greek words for love, eros, phileo. Those Greek words meant a different type of love. Eros is more of a selfish kind of a love. You love for something you can get out of it. It's related to sensual love. It's where we get the term erotic. There's more meanings to it than that. But I'm just saying that is a kind of a self-centered love or a love because you want to get something out of it. Then there's phileo love, which is like a brotherly love. That's a good kind of love. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of love. But agape love, this love that God loves us, it is a selfless love. It is a benevolent love. It is a goodwill love. John is saying, I want you to understand this God who loves you. You do not have to be afraid of him. I mean, you should respect him, but don't be afraid of him. Because whoever does not love does not know God. If Christ comes into you, he helps you to love people, even people that you disagree with. Uh, people who are unkind to you. Why? Because that's the agape kind of love that God has for us and even for them. So that brings us into the second part of this, and this is the, the key thing that I want us to focus on. The second thing that can help dispel the shadows of fear in our life and help them subside is the love of God. And that's why the Apostle Paul kind of makes it the centerpiece in this brief little sentence that he says, power, love, and sound judgment. It's talking about the love of Christ in your life. Again, not just any kind of love, but the agape, the goodwill, the kindness, the compassion, the selfless, unconditional love. And when you realize the love of God and what he has for you and he puts that within you, it can help those shadows of fear begin to decide. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, we don't have to fear the future because we know that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. This is part of the mystery of the triune nature of God, but it's like God himself took on flesh and blood. He was born into the world through a Virgin Mary. It was a miracle. And so therefore, he's referred to as God's son because he was born. But he was still part of God. He was part of this triune nature of God. Jesus has always existed. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. So in that moment, he was born into the world. But he didn't begin to exist at that point. And so now God is in the world that he created. And he's demonstrating his love through Christ. And he did it so much that he paid the penalty for our sin. Because the consequences of sin is death. God set that up. And then God said, I'm going to take that death and I'm going to conquer it for you. And that's what he did the third day when he conquered death. And therefore, he's saying, if you will trust in me, I've paid that penalty. And you too, when you die, you're not going to be separated from me because I love you. When you go through physical death because I conquered death, you're coming into my presence. Christ conquered death and brought justification with God. This is what the scripture means in Romans 5, 8, and 10 when it says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act and do better. He loved us right in the midst of our sin, and he said, I want to I show them my love, and I want them to come to me, but I want it to be their choice. 
So I'm going to do everything I can to extend my arms and invite them in. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, we don't have to fear God's judgment and wrath because Christ bore that for us. God did that for us in himself. Verse 10, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? When you understand how much God loves you, it should begin to cause your fear to fade. And it should cause you to begin to, in great gratitude, just be grateful to God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, now this is just a few verses on down from what I read earlier about the spirit of Antichrist and all that stuff. I want you to see how John focuses, takes the focus off of that and puts it on the love of God. So in 1 John 4, 17, it says this, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Now listen to this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment the one who fears is not made perfect in love or is not mature yet in their understanding of love we love because he first loved us the love that we can have is only a response to god's love who initiated it um over my lifetime i've uh, had different pets and uh, our daughter and grandkids, they have a lot of pets and, and animals. And many of you ha have animals. But I, this weird thing, uh, a long time ago, I, I had a monkey. <laughs> yeah, thank you for laughing because I just had to get that out. <laughs> it's a weird thing. You know, now you're getting to know how weird I really am. But, but uh, I, I saved up money. It was actually at the Belpre Aquarium. Uh, they, they don't sell them anymore because people were poaching them. So it became illegal and you can't buy them now legally. But anyway, at that time they were legal. But when I bought this little, it was a squirrel monkey. And it was wild. It was literally taken out of the wild from South America. So I had to try to tame it. And I love that monkey. <laughs> I feel so silly saying it. I never thought I would stand in the pulpit and say, I love that monkey. <laughs> but anyway, but that monkey didn't understand my love. And so, you know, and I kept the, the monkey in a cage, which is kind of confining but I wanted the monkey to have exercise. But the reason I was doing that, because I knew if it got loose in, we were living in West Virginia at the time, uh, probably wouldn't, the, the monkey wouldn't do too well in the wild of West Virginia, in the city, Indiana, which is where we lived at the time. So even as I was trying to keep it in place, it was to protect it. And then I built a cage. I took chicken wire and, and built a big cage so I could put it out in the yard and it could get some exercise. But that monkey didn't understand my love. I had to spend a lot of time trying to feed it by hand and get that monkey to a point where I could literally just like hold it and it, and it could trust me enough. I tell you that silly story and eventually the monkey figured it out. That was still a monkey, but. <laughs> and I'm saying that because sometimes you and I are like that with God. He loves us so much. And he wants to give us so much. And in his efforts to reach out to us, we recoil, we reject, we're afraid, we don't understand, we're fearful, we think he's wanting to hurt us. And he is saying, no, I have done all these things because I love you. And I really believe that's what this verse means when it says there is no fear in love, perfect love. When you understand that perfect love, it's going to drive away your fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We're not mature yet in our understanding of God. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but you're still walking around in fear that somehow he's going to punish you, then you don't have a perfected and a mature view of God and his love. Now, I will tell you this, that God in his love does discipline us. That's different than punishment. Discipline is different. You're trying to teach and train for our own good, and God will do that in our life, but that's not the same as punishment because he took care of that. So one more verse about this, and I will, I will wrap this up, but I, I, this is so important, I think, for all of us to hear. And the Apostle Paul, he writes about it so much in many of his different letters. So again, in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, we see this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Now, listen to the words that I'm reading here because they're all things that we're afraid of. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who, what? Loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, not angels or principalities, not powers, not things present nor things to come, not height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You don't have to fear death. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have to fear death because Christ paid that punishment for you and you are secure in him. And this is why the call goes out because God does not want us to live in fear. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to trust Christ. Love overcomes fear. That's why Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And the final thing that... Paul mentions of these three ways to overcome the shadow of fear. We've talked about power, we've talked about love, and the last thing is sound judgment. Because really, when you begin to understand those first two concepts, it can begin to change your thinking and shape your thinking to where now you have more, as, as, as the King James Version says, a sound mind. But again, it's really talking about a sound way of thinking that allows you to live a balanced life. And uh, you can have some self-control, some discipline, but again, it's a sound judgment, a sound way of thinking. And how does that happen? Well, one of the ways it happens, of course, is through reading God's word, hearing God's word, learning of his love for us. That's why Jesus said, again, in Matthew 6, it's recorded, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added into you. It puts everything in proper perspective, Jesus says. So Jesus teaches us the way of kingdom living and how to face our fears. He, he records it this way, or his words are recorded in Luke six forty six. Jesus spoke these words to his followers. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a person building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock and when a flood came, the torrent struck. That's something to be afraid of, right? And it struck the house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not practice them, so I'm going to make it personal now, the one who comes on Sunday and hears preaching about Jesus or preaching about God's word or they hear it on the radio or the podcasts and they say, oh, that was, that was a good message. I think that's really good. But you don't do a thing about it 
You keep living the way you've always lived. You don't put anything that you've heard into practice. Jesus is saying, this is what you are like. The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a person who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck the house, it collapsed, and its collapse was complete. You see, if we don't have our lives built on the foundation of God's word and Christ, those shadows are large, but then actually the trials of life can come in and and just sweep us away emotionally, spiritually, and we can feel defeated. But Christ wants us to be built on the foundation of who he is, his love for us and his word. And so we see this in Romans 8, 31 and 32. The Apostle Paul, this is my conclusion today. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What can we say? Allow Christ to shine his light and his love in your life right now and the power of his Holy Spirit to help begin to make those shadows of fear begin to diminish and allow him to give you a proper perspective about your life I encourage you today, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, open your heart and life and soul to him. That's all he wants. He has poured out his love for you, and he just wants you in return to open up your life to him and say, okay, Jesus, work with me. I'll I'll work with you. Work with me. I trust you as my Savior. Help me live for you. He'll help you do it. For God has not given us a spirit of fearfulness, but one of power and love and a sound judgment. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word that has been written and recorded for all these centuries, all these generations, through various geographical locations. It's been passed on. Your Holy Spirit has watched over it to protect it and preserve it. It's been attacked century after century after century. To this very day, it's still being attacked and it's being questioned. But Lord, you have seen to it that it still stands. And you have still given it to us, shining like a light into our mind and into our soul and our spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you for giving us that light of your word. And I thank you, Jesus, that your light has come into the world through your life, death, and resurrection. And we have the light of your Holy Spirit now to shine upon us and within us. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will minister to everyone who has listened to this message, those who are believers and have become doubtful or fearful, I pray that you would use this message today to encourage them, Lord, and to strengthen them, to help them to understand how much you love them. And for those who haven't yet trusted you, Lord, I pray that you'll encourage them to realize the truth and to come to you, Lord, and to to just stop fighting and being fearful, but to surrender their life to you and receive you into their life and experience the joy and the peace that you alone can give that the world cannot. And so I thank you, Lord, for your great love, and I pray your blessing and strength upon us now in your precious and mighty name. Amen.